Ready to build better benefits that maximize employee wellness? Join Infirmary Health and Rx Benefits June 4th ASHRA webinar as they discuss actionable advice for developing pharmacy programs with your pharmacy resources, how to build internal and external partnerships that boost employee wellness, and what pharmacy trends could impact future benefit design for all HR leaders. Register today. To learn more about Rx Benefits, visit employers.rxbenefits.com or click the link in show notes. Ashra Nation, welcome to this episode of the Ashra Podcast. I am Bo Brabo, and in studio is my dynamic co-host, Luke Kerrigan, and two absolutely amazing guests, Amy McEnroth and Lori Rowe. With almost 20 years of experience, Amy is truly a force to be reckoned with in the fields of workforce development, higher education, and academic medicine. Her impressive work history and exceptional foundation of knowledge and expertise makes her the perfect candidate to lead teams and projects focused on talent development, credentialing, and so much more. And also, we have a second guest with us. Let me introduce the accomplished Lori Rowe, a credentialing industry veteran with more than two decades of experience. Lori is an expert in representing national testing organizations, trade associations, and certification and accreditation bodies in various industries. Most importantly, I think her strategic vision and insights are the secret sauce behind her unparalleled success in building and managing coalitions and corporate partnerships. Luke, this one is going to be jam-packed. So with that, I would like to welcome, you're pumped, that's good. Listeners, we hope you're pumped too. So with that, Amy, Lori... Welcome to the show. Amy, why don't you kick us off and and tell the listeners a little about yourself? Hey, thank you for that introduction, Bo. I really appreciate it. It seems uh, uh, like a a great opportunity to be on your show and talk to your listeners. And um, we're excited to share some some things that we've been working on. Um, I'm Amy McEnroth, and I am the Senior Director of National Partnerships at Dallas College. Uh, Dallas College is a fairly large uh, community college in the Dallas uh, Fort Worth area, um, housed out of Dallas County. We have seven campuses and a number of other satellite locations and upwards of 100,000 students per semester that we serve both in the academic wow. side of the house and uh, within workforce and advancement. And so um, the reason we're here today is we've received uh, quite a lot of federal funding um, to create uh, and scale apprenticeships within the healthcare industry. I'll pass it over That's to Lori. fantastic. Hi, thanks you guys for having us. I think this is a great opportunity for us to share what we've done and and get the word out. So hopefully more people will want to participate. My name is Lori Rowe and I've been in DC quite a long time and worked about 30 years in the credentialing industry, uh, representing, as you said, um, you know, private sector organizations. Um, I've also worked on Capitol Hill and with um, federal agencies in utilizing these credentials to transition veterans, to work with healthcare organizations, to increase their reimbursement, work with them on how they bill, um, and writing those codes for CMS. So I have a, I have an extensive uh, healthcare background in that respect. Um, and most recently, uh, I took a break and spent a lot of time at the Department of Labor. Uh, creating a program which I hope um, helps a lot of people go to work um, and helps fill a skills gap that is really necessary. So that's me. That's fantastic. Yeah. This is just going to be amazing. So before we go too far into this, Amy, you referenced um, 
100,000 students. Are there other community colleges that <laughs> service that many people? That seems like a, a ton. Sure, there are. It is it is uh, huge. Um, I think we're one of the largest. Uh, I wow. can't go on the record <laughs> with, how, with where we stand. Yeah, sure. Uh, but there are quite a number of very large institutions in that realm. But we do stand to be one of the largest. And just for, for clarity, for everybody listening, the program that you're going to discuss and the funding that you received, um, is it accessible to, to any organization? Can any organization across the country come to you and, and ask how they might participate? Absolutely. So it, within health, healthcare, of course, this is a, a healthcare right. sector grant. And yes, we're looking for um, partners uh, that are in the healthcare sector. So that means hospitals, long-term care facilities, uh, outpatient imaging centers, um, even private practices uh, that are that are looking to upskill or reskill their existing staff uh, within with some of these occupations we've developed. Well, hopefully, after this episode, you just get bombarded. <laughs> we hope so too. It'd be a great problem to have. <laughs> it's going to be overwhelming. It would be. Yeah, for sure. So, what types of programs are you typically seeing that people need help with on uh, the hospital and the long term care side of things? Uh, because I'm very interested in that. I think, and we've talked about this before, Bo, uh, what's unique about long-term care and hospitals is that the skills is a direct reflection of what the community needs and what the community has. And it doesn't go any further than that because there's not a lot, you can't be remote and do a lot of these positions, right? Um, so it's fascinating to me. And I think that's where a lot of the hospitals and the long-term care locations are hurting is the skills to take care of their own population, right? What types of positions are you seeing that they need the most help with and how are you helping them? We, Bo and I have been doing this a while. So listeners, we're just going to get it out there and assume everybody's hurting right now and needs help with the skills gap and more folks. So what are you seeing out there? I'll let Lori time in in just a second. But what I want to say is, um, you know, we have talked with uh, numerous uh, healthcare facilities, and I don't think it's any secret that there's a skills gap. And I think I keep saying, yeah. even sort of like my mantra is like, we need to be really mindful of that gap um, and yes. come up with a strategic plan on how to address that gap. And work based learning programs like apprenticeship are essential uh, to mm -hmm. addressing that gap. And so, in our research, you know, we've spent the last three, three and a half years doing in-depth research and development on occupations that we think will be um, very impactful for the industry, whether it's, you know, openings because of the, you know, quote unquote, gray tsunami, or because we just, there's hard to fill roles or high turnover roles. We've tried to address some of those roles with these occupations for which we've developed apprenticeships. And so uh, the, we've, we focused on eight occupations uh, the first is healthcare culinary services. So think of your line cooks mm -hmm. and scaling those people up into eventually sous chefs. You can bring even a tray passer into one of those entry level apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. um, the next one is sterile processing technicians. Uh, we've found that <laughs> that's in high demand. Um, one healthcare entity told us that they have upwards of 800 open positions across their organization for sterile processing technicians at wow. any given time. Wow. So, for an evergreen rec um, in sterile processing, um, coming up with a strategy for upskilling people, getting them certified, um, and then backfilling, you know, with maybe uh, promising EVS folks, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to come up with a plan for getting those roles filled. Additionally, we've created um, on sort of the back end of the house some roles. 
uh, healthcare uh, supply chain. Uh, everybody knows we had a pandemic. There was a huge supply chain crisis that aligned to that. And so we've partnered with a credentialing body and a, a, a very well-known organization called Association for Supply Chain Management uh, to create an apprenticeship in healthcare around um, entry to mid-level supply chain roles. Um, also on the back of house, a facility engineering, um, kind of back and uh, forward facing, uh, facility engineers are a huge part of, of making your hospital uh, safe and improving patient outcomes. So we've created um, that, that program in partnership with a couple of organizations. We also created an apprenticeship program within um, MRI. So uh, uh, MRI is, you know, uh, let me say, let me back up. So um, it used to be the case that healthcare systems wanted um, people to be certified across multiple modalities, X-ray, CT, MR. Um, and what we found is that the demand is so high now uh, that ultimately what they want is to just hire MRI techs, technologists. And so um, we've partnered with, we have a training partner and the certification body partner uh, for the development of that apprenticeship program. And so far that one has um, been a pretty big success. So those are the first um, five that we've had recognized by our, uh, um, our um, accreditation partner. It's called the uh, Standards Recognition Entity, if you will. It's basically an accreditation mm -hmm. partner. And for us, it's the ANSI National Accreditation Board. So they've recognized these apprenticeship programs um, through a fairly rigorous uh, process uh, to say that they are, you know, they're, they've been validated and that they're rigorous and that if you go through this program, you're actually getting a meaningful credential and um, that this is going to help you in your career. So those are the five. And then we're still working on three others, which will be ready for prime time um, in, in fairly short order. So within the next couple of months, um, and we think this will be a huge hit. Uh, medical assistant, uh, we've... Um, oh, yeah developed one for the um, administrative side of the medical assistant job, as well as the clinical side. And then we also are working on one for nurse educator uh, and uh, medical billing and coding. Wow. So cool. That's fantastic. Well, Lori, I, what, yeah. Where's, where's your role say, in this? Yeah. You hear her and, and I'm always amazed at the time we've spent and, and I sit and I hear, you know, we talk about these, we have, touch-based conversations all the time. And obviously we're working on the competencies with industry and, and helping put these programs together. But to sit in here, Amy, just run through, we've done this and we've done this and we've done this. It, it really yeah. is, I think, I can pat ourselves on the shoulder. It's a pretty impressive list of what we put together. And they're great apprenticeship programs and, and you know, they've got the on-the-job training and the mentorship aspect. And um, you know, there's a classroom component in some of them, mm -hmm. but I think the best thing about them, which is why I really went back into the government to help create this program is because industry can decide what's best. They don't have someone telling them, um, you know, you have to train, you know, this person this way for this factory or in this hospital or, you know, in, in this kitchen somewhere, um, Industry can really look at what they need, what their gap is, whether it's skilling, you know, reskilling or upskilling to try to bring in new people, or whether it's looking for an entirely new workforce at entry level. Mm -hmm. um, and these can be designed um, to be stackable credentials in many respects, the things that we've done. So we've been really happy with that so that we're creating a pathway to a career and it's not just a job. Um, so it's it's been pretty rewarding on the backside, too. Um 
I sat and worked um, many hours with um, the American National Standards Institute and and another organization, WorkCred, and some different individuals to put this together. And I think we did a pretty good job making it well-rounded. And now we're doing our best to turn it into a work-based learning type program in the private sector um, and build it out from there so we can get as many people in jobs and, you know, upwardly mobile to careers as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's fantastic. It's amazing. Luke, just, you know, for everyone, I was in the hospital a, a couple months ago visiting, visiting my mom. She's in a patient room and I think my, my wife was with me and she probably thought I was some type of geek for noticing the stuff that probably a lot of people don't notice, but I'm just like, look at all the stuff coming out of the walls that the yeah. nurses or the, the medical assistants plug into, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, various types of equipment, the oxygen uh, connection is in the wall. So somebody who has an official f- facilities apprenticeship program for healthcare and in the hospital systems, imagine you go through that as in your career. And then later on, for some reason, you leave healthcare and you go to kind of like a normal corporate office building, how much easier or less complex that facility is going to be than the hospital that you worked yeah. in. It's so complex. I can see where something like OJT is just simply not enough, right? To truly set up your staff for success. So that is so awesome to hear that that's one of the, one of the programs that you have in place. So cool. Amy and Lori, can you give us a high level overview of exactly how this works from the perspective of, let's say, um, you know, either in long-term care or a hospital setting, an HR executive or professional, how do they get started? What is the process? What's the time and money commitment on their end? Because I mean, the result that you're describing, everybody needs and wants right now, right? So if I'm in their shoes, I'm thinking, wow, what's this process? How long does it take? Can you just give us a high level overview of uh, what they can expect? Sure. Yeah. So the result is a highly qualified and certified uh, staff person that can um, improve your patient outcomes uh, is going to benefit your community and your team and promote employee engagement. So how do we get there? Um, And and let me tell you, we've had some people that say, wow, this this sounds almost too good to be true. But the the bottom line is um, we've received this, you know, millions of dollars of federal funding to do this because the government sees that that work-based learning and apprenticeship are one of the best ways to upskill staff and the healthcare industry in general is really struggling in that area. So our job is basically to get healthcare to see that it's a viable option. And so what we're doing is collaborating uh, with HR executives, as well as the leadership within those departments for those occupations. And so uh, practically speaking, what does this look like? Uh, We kind of reverse engineer it. So we say, you know, what occupations do you want and when do you, when do you want to start? <laughs> and then we kind of go backwards and and set it all up. So there are a number of things that need to happen. First, we need all the buy in from leadership on both within HR and within within those departments. So that's that's the key. And then we want to identify uh, folks that can serve as preceptors, as mentors in in, in the apprenticeship program. Uh, somebody who can serve as sort of the main program director. Uh, Their goal is to know what all of the requirements are for the program, to make sure that those are being delivered, and to communicate with us so that we can basically do all of the paperwork and cut through all that red tape and do all the stuff that really hospitals don't really want to be involved with, and they just 
you know, so that they can just get their staff trained and competent and ready Mm -hmm. to go. So once we've identified HR contacts, program leadership, preceptors, then we figure out, are we going to hire new people off the street for these roles? Or are we going to upscale, upscale our existing staff? And sometimes it's a combination of both. We've also um, had great success telling um, the hospitals or seeing the hospitals uh, post positions with apprentice in the title. What that does is it helps them cast a wider net. People are much more willing to apply for roles when they know that there's going to be support from their organization to actually learn the role. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in some of these entry level roles, um, somebody that doesn't have a college degree, somebody that's just out of high school, maybe they're, they're intimidated, right? Healthcare is big, bad, and scary, and they think that you have to be a doctor to work there, and that's just not true. So um, we have them post those positions as apprentice positions to cast a wider net and to help people uh, engage in those career pathways. And then for the folks who are upskilling, you know, the hospitals often want to pick the people that they see the greatest promise for them to stay with the organization. They can use it as a tool for retention building um, and for employee engagement. So once we've identified apprentices, um, we kind of go through the process of making sure all the paperwork is in order and um, doing training for the preceptors and orientation for apprentices. And then they're sort of off to the races with uh, the -the on-the-job training portion, which is guided by those on-site preceptors. And then the complementary portion of that is the the related instruction or the coursework, if you will, um, that supplements the, the practice with the theory. Um, so, so that's, those are the real basics. Uh, and, and what I can say in addition to that is we have, uh, I've mentioned the federal funding right now for a limited time, as long as our grant funding lasts, uh, we have incentive dollars for hospitals to try this out. And so, nice. um, yeah, so those incentive dollars are there, um, you know, it's that they can be used essentially to help pr- sustain the program after after our grant project ends, they can be used to incentivize preceptors and in, in their work. They could be used to support the apprentices if they need supplies or, um, you know, something to help them be successful in their career. Mm-hmm. And then we also use the grant funding to pay uh, for nearly all of the expense of the apprenticeship program. So this is why I think the hospitals are saying, hmm, well, I mean, this, this yeah. is crazy. I mean, you're paying for everything, right? And then you're paying us. And ultimately, that's not sustainable because the grant the grant funding will end. But what we've done is design these programs to be fairly affordable. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the apprenticeship programs to be fairly affordable. Lori, I don't know if you want to chime in here on other aspects uh, for setup and, and the success of these programs, but uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about the competency models. Well, I was going to say the, the one thing that's at the end of these programs, which is different than many, is a certification exam. Um, so when we created the program originally, one of the most important things that the secretary kept discussing was portability. We want people to be able to go to work and receive a certification. And if, you know, their wife is in the military or their husband and they're transferred, you know, they can go to work in another state and they can, you know, they can move around and and not have to start over if they're a teacher or a nurse, that's who it most frequently happens to. Um, and so what we do while Amy's doing all of that stuff, which is amazing and a whole lot of work. And, and I think she's gotten it down to a great, a great system and a great staff. Um, 
we began to work on the competencies and working with these organizations on what are the actual tasks? What does it mean to do this job? Um, and you, the organizations tend to have um, a certification body that they work with um, because it's medical. So it tends to be a higher level. So we work on those task statements and the, the test blueprint. And we actually go line by line, one task at a time and their competencies and write them and ensure that they're measurable, meaning that when that preceptor is working with that student or that mentor is working with that apprentice, that that apprentice, that they can actually attest to the fact that, yes, they've achieved this, they've completed this task, they've demonstrated it, they can do it, check, move on. Um, And so we go through a process, um, there's a a group of us um, SMEs, And we go through a process of actually writing these competencies and completing them and working with other, you know, SMEs in the industry that double check, make sure we haven't missed anything, make sure it's complete um, so that when they, they walk out of this and they finish this program, they have a solid body of knowledge. They've got the workplace relevance, the skills, and they've, they've mastered them. And, and most of them, you know, have a certification, which is phenomenal. Um, yeah, for sure. And we're pretty proud of that. Lori, I have a question for you based upon your experience, uh, and all of the, the discussions you have on Capitol Hill, uh, within the department of labor and maybe others. Uh, a couple of years ago, Luke and I were at a staffing conference and we had a fascinating, uh, conversation with an economist and we were talking about the labor shortages and so forth and what our industry is going to have to do like to try and fill the gap, if you will. And his his comments went instantly to training and upskilling or reskilling. Mm-hmm. And what I loved, it was just a fascinating statement. He goes, we have to go backwards to go forward. And what and then he explained what he meant by that it was like, we got to go back to the apprenticeship programs of the 50s, the you know, the 1940s, the 1950s, and actually teach our people um, what we need them to learn mm-hmm. through things like apprenticeship programs. Mm-hmm. So are you hearing that same, is that same type of conversation happening on Capitol Hill? And if mm-hmm. so, like to what level or, or what level of, um, um, passion is it being talked about? Yes. And it's not a new thing. Um, you know, we're the only country in the world that, that doesn't use it. Uh, you know, if you yeah. look at, at Germany and the Netherlands and, you know, Switzerland and all these other countries, it's how they train. It's how they grow people, um, how yeah. they educate them and they build them and how they go to work and that determines where they work and, and how they spend their lives. Yes. In fact, it was discussed yesterday in a Senate hearing um, hmm. in, in pretty great detail about how we need to simplify our workforce. We need to, instead of having everybody not that there's anything wrong with high level degrees, masters, PhDs, all of those things, but just sitting in a classroom and getting a degree, even a law degree doesn't mean you know how to practice law. You know, an MD doesn't mean you know how to practice medicine, but if you're hired as an apprentice, as you know, um, in a hospital, in a kitchen, you know, you're going to learn how to do those 75 tasks that are within your job and you're going to do them every day. And you're going to have somebody next to you who's working with you and teaching you and helping you get through that so that you're confident and you one want to stay. I know Amy mentioned retention, but you, you want to grow in that. And there is a lot of discussion on the Hill about it because the gaps are huge. Um, And healthcare is the one they said we couldn't do it. Frankly, they, they said healthcare would never work. 
Um, and there were some friends of mine that I had been friends with a long time that worked at the commerce department. And they said, you're absolutely crazy. This will never work. It's going to fall in your face. And I said, nope, it'll work. We'll figure it out. Um, and I think we've been pretty successful so far. Um, we're getting there. Um, but there were a number of senators yesterday in, in a hearing that went back to this. How about we take people and we teach them? And how about we pay them while we teach them? So that they're not, you know, working, you know, for Lyft or as, you know, a runner for a sandwich shop or whatever. Let them focus. Let them spend their days learning how to do this job, and let's yeah. pay them and reward them and build them up and and you know let them be. Yeah, successful. for sure. I think you made a great point. You know, physicians come out of med school if they pass, and where do they go? Residency. Residency is, is is <laughs> yeah, it's their. Um, you know, it's kind of like their apprenticeship program. They got to be, they got to actually learn exactly. how to practice what they've been taught. You got to do um, it. You got to do it, right? Um, and and go from there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a that's a great analogy for sure. Yeah. So is this funding, let me see if I heard you right, is this funding covering a portion of the payroll for the workers too? It is so not. Like, it is not. Okay. No. I was going to say, I was like, I was like, that's insane. I was like, all right, <laughs> if you're talking free labor dollars. Yeah, though. that would be insane. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> there are some opportunities for that, um, and we're not really on that topic today, but um, especially through the Department of Defense for transitioning milita- military. So we can talk about yes, that another we time. we know about that. Yeah, yeah yep. Skillbridge. Yeah, but, uh, but, but it's sure. possible that what we could do yep. is create these work-based learning programs with Skillbridge in mind and get these folks into the hospitals and, you know, they could do their that Skillbridge program and then enter the actual apprenticeship program once they're on the the employer's dime. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you registered for ASHRAE's June 4th webinar yet? Attend Optimizing Employee Wellness, How Infirmary Health Aligned HR and Pharmacy for Better Benefits, and Earn a CEU. You know, one important thing about that, though, that... um, you mentioned earlier, right? The, the apprenticeship programs, the five that you have locked in, the three that are coming, right? And, and you talked about the vacancies that uh, the healthcare organization or the hospital has, right? So if I have these, if I'm a hospital and I have these vacancies, right? Those are, those are positions that if you could hire, like you said, 800 people at any one time for the sterile uh, technician, you would hire all 800 of them and you have the payroll for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've already budgeted for those vacancies. You have the money, you need the people. Um, so I, I would almost um, question, like if somebody's question was around, well, are you going to also pay the payroll? It's like, well, we're, we're giving you the apprenticeship program to train the people that you're already trying to find. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's still, I think a huge win. Yeah, for exactly. Oh, it's a giant win. Giant Industry's win. problem has been across the country. They can't find the people where they physically right. need them. Yeah. Um, and we found that a lot in developing this program and and working with about the top 250 Fortune 500 companies. The people just aren't where they need to be. And so they've built in a lot of incentives and things to get them where they need to be. So it's hard to fill spots that are like that when you have so many, like 800. And, sure. You know. yeah. Oh, yeah, Amy. One incredible opportunity with apprenticeship is that people can come right off the street. There's no expense to them the way we've designed it. Um, and for the most part, and so not only is somebody getting trained 
They're also getting paid a full-time salary with benefits, <laughs> and they're ending their training program with having earned all of that with no debt and with a meaningful credential that they can carry throughout their career. And yeah. it's just, it's a win-win, right. It's yeah. a win-win all the way around for everybody. It's a win-win for the, for the, the worker, for the apprentice. It's a win-win for the organization. It's a win for us <laughs> with our project. Um, we, yeah. you know, I think it's just a great opportunity all the way around. How oh, long are the apprenticeship programs that you have in place? Like, do they, is there an average duration? They vary. Um, it they depends, vary. it depends on, um, what organization and and which, you know, if it's the billing and coding or if it's the sterile processing, obviously some of them are more intense than the others. Sure. Um, and there are a lot more tasks and things that you have to learn. Um, so it, it does vary. Um, yeah. And as an example, uh, the, the culinary program, there are three different credentials you can earn. You could earn one of the three, you could earn all three. So it's going to depend. Uh, the important thing to note about these apprenticeships is that they are not time-based. They're, they're, they're competency-based. Now, in some cases, the credential requires a time commitment, but the way we've designed the apprenticeship is that they are completely competency-based. And so well, on a culinary program, with the culinary program, we've had somebody take an entire year to complete a credential, and we've had somebody complete it within only six weeks. So it really depends on the motivation that the apprentice has, and especially the level of support that they get from their preceptor. Well, and the other thing that that's been really important too is we have something called a prior learning assessment. So like in working, you know, we mentioned SkillBridge, we work with the military as well. Um, and someone can come in and they don't have to start from scratch. Like talking about the culinary, we have several, you don't have to start at the bottom. If you already have that experience, you can mm -hmm. come in and complete a prior learning assessment and work, you know, with the team. And you may be ready for the sous chef exam or, you know, where, wherever it is um, based on your prior experience. So you don't have those people, which frequently happens in the military coming out and saying, you know, truck drivers are the best example. You've got to relearn how to, how to do this before you can, you know, get your CDL in the private sector, even though you've right. taught a course and done it for 30 years in the military, it's <laughs> the same kind of thing. Um, and that's been really widely received. We had a, some conversations with the people, the woman who was actually helping us do the, the uh, sterile processing. Uh, and she said, one of the hardest things is when you have, you know, phlebotomists or x-ray techs or, you know, whatever the allied healthcare profession might be, sometimes uh -huh. they live in an area where there's not a need for that anymore. And they'll want to switch and do something else. And she said, you'll find these people that have some of these skills and they have to start at the bottom. And yeah. so I think we've, we've worked really hard using our prior learning um, techniques to help people not have to do that when they do excellent skills for sure. So I would think, yeah, for sure. I would think if, if I'm the HR person, the professional sitting on the organizational side and I'm having this conversation with you, one of the questions I would ask, or I would want, I would want some type of understanding of if I'm, if I'm taking, I'll just use this as one example. If I'm taking someone uh, off the street with no ex experience and we're going to put them in one of your apprenticeship programs, pick any one. One of the questions I would ask you is what should I expect as the employer, uh, a timeline for when this person should basically graduate from the apprenticeship program, earn their credential, and then they're, let's say off to the races, if you will. 
I think, cause I think that's an answer that I would have to give to leadership of my organization. Like we're going to have these people in this program, we're paying them, they got benefits. Are they in this for a year? Is it going to take them two years or is it just, well, it's however long it takes them. I would think I would want a little more concrete, um, evidence-based answer, if you will, based upon your data and what you've seen in other locations. Sure. That's a, that's a fair, that's a fair comment and question. I would say that the average time for completion for any of the occupations except for MRI is probably six to nine months. So it's, yeah, it's, and like I said, it's going to depend on how, how committed somebody is. And the way we've designed these with online coursework is a, a lot of times that's asynchronous, which means they have to carve out that time and be committed to doing the learning. Um, in addition to going to their job on a daily basis and managing all of their responsibilities as an adult learner. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen employers put those timeline requirements out there? Yes. And, and you know, they're welcome to do that. They're absolutely welcome to do yeah. that. And, and sometimes um, with MRI, it's a little bit more expensive. So we cover about a third of the tuition and then oftentimes the employer is covering mm-hmm. the rest. And so, of course, there's some sort of contract with the employee about, you know, staying on for a certain amount of time. No, no hospital wants to train somebody else's staff. Right. And so a lot of times we've seen agreements come into place for the apprentices um, across all the occupations. And and that is absolutely acceptable and, and certainly the prerogative of of the employer. Cool. Are you seeing any, uh, like patterns or I'll call them sweet spots in, uh, healthcare where you're like, okay, well this for generally for organizations between X amount and Y amount of employees, we're seeing that they can take this on really effectively. And are you seeing any, I guess, sweet spots or patterns in Metro versus non-Metro areas? I wouldn't say rural, right? Cause I don't think that's fair, but let's like use an example like Dallas and not Dallas. I'm in Roanoke, Virginia, so it's not, <laughs> not necessarily rural, but you know, are you seeing any of those patterns where it really is a good fit? I think it can be a good fit at any, any, Anywhere. any, any sure. hospital. It could be a yeah. great fit for rural and urban. And that's something we talked about a lot at the beginning of this project is how do we make sure that this works anywhere? And the answer is basically you could have one apprentice as long as you have one person that can be their preceptor. Um, and wow. in rural settings, we actually talked to a hospital that definitely meets the definition of rural um, and their main facility engineer is retiring and he's already said, I'm going to be here for 18 more months. What are we going to do to re- replace me? He's like the facility. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to use this apprenticeship to train someone. Um, yeah. And and a lot of hospitals don't have that luxury in, ter- in terms of knowing when someone's going to retire, for, you know, 18 months later. But um, I think that, you know, it can work for, a very, very small entity. Um, I think when we began, we began this project, we expected that the larger health systems would adopt it and we would get hundreds and thousands of apprentices across their system. And I think that's still coming. Um, we've kind of been ramping up over these number of years. But one of the things about these larger systems is that you have to get a commitment from the right person at the corporate office. And, and it kind of has to be a mandate from the top. Uh, so, you know, we've been, we've been, we've had a lot of incredible conversations. We've probably met with more than 100 different health, you know, standalone hospitals and large systems. Um, and we've got commitments from a number of them. But um, in terms of like navigating the bureaucracy of a larger hospital, it's, it's about getting actually 
off the ground with them, not so much about capacity to run the program. Whereas in the reverse with the rural hospitals, they're like, where do I sign? I had a hospital sign the yeah, same day and I'm like, okay, well, our legal team still has to look at this contract and we're still a big <laughs> entity that has to sign this. Um, but um, I mean, so it just, it's kind of runs the gambit in terms of how long it takes to get through all of that. Um, and the smaller ones actually are a little bit more nimble in their ability to kind of just say, okay, we're going to do this. Well, and I think one of the things we've talked about too, when you get into rural areas, um, I'm in Virginia too, but, but way South, it gets, it gets pretty rural. You know, there are a lot of clinics. I mean, they're, you know, they aren't hospitals. You've got, you know, medical clinics that'll have two doctors and a staff of six or eight. And, and they're doing the work of almost a hospital in a lot of cases. And they're always looking for staff and people. And, and so I think it, it can expand even into places like that if they wanted to hire an apprentice. I mean, we focused obviously on the because we did think big numbers, big hospital systems. And, but I think there's a lot of opportunity at every level and every size of entity for this kind of program. If you've got the person to mentor them and be their preceptor I love and it. The support it, and the leadership. And just making such a big impact on the communities as a whole. You know, and being out here in Roanoke, Virginia, and the listeners, if you don't know about it, we got like 100,000 people. Uh, you know, it's not big by any means. We have Carillion Health System out here. They employ 10,000 mm-hmm. people. So let's say 20 to 30% of the employed population is by them. They are the good and best jobs in the city of Roanoke and the whole metro area, right? And there's very, at entry level, there's not much else that you would want to be at. I mean, sure, you could go get something at a gas station. I mean, you know, your typical low-paying jobs that don't offer that much career progression as you move through mm-hmm. your entire life, right? And we all go through different stages in our life where we, uh, you know, we grow at a different rate. And healthcare is just so important for that. I love what you're doing because yeah. they can stay in this industry their entire careers all the way through retirement and the sky is the limit. And those are all the good jobs, right? Uh, Amy, you know, what, you're I just want to respond that. to that. Yeah. Um, we were just doing an orientation for our MRI apprenticeship program two weeks ago. And what one of the lead faculty members said to the group, you will never be without a job <laughs> because it is, there's yeah. such high demand not only will you not be without a job, you're going to be getting offered bonuses for signing somewhere else. Paid very well. Um, it's a great paying yeah. occupation, and then it's not you're it's not a dead end. You're not just an MRI technologist. Then you can become the director of imaging, and you can move up through the organization. I mean, and all without a college degree, right? I mean, it's it's really incredible. So I think that you know if if people want to look at these apprenticeship programs as a stepping stone into these career pathways um, and, and come up with a plan for how to, to sustain their, you know, families and, and their career for the rest of their life. Healthcare is, is certainly a winner uh, because it's, it's not going away. It's a really stable industry despite endless disruptors and advances in technology and care. Um, I think that we'll still, you'll, these apprentices will, be equipped with understanding how to learn, how to master skills, tasks, and competencies, and how to, you know, make, take them to the next level for their next, their next move. 
I love it. I love it. And it does exist. You know, that it is truly an area where people can do it. Carillion, again, Nancy Ag, their CEO, who is, by the way, like beloved in the Roanoke area, <laughs> uh, started off as a candy striper. I like, love that. Many, many moons ago. So when we look at career pathing, you know, it isn't just an MRI tech that you're getting into in that career. You know, it could be over the next 30 or 40 years. Is it realistic to be the CEO? Well, Maybe. In this area, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have one last question for, for you both. Um, Amy, is there a, do you have a reporting requirement back to the Department of Labor on how the grant is performing? And then for Lori, is the discussion topics within the Department of Labor, to, if, if they're performing well, to keep these type of grants uh, going in the future? <laughs> well, I can speak to the reporting um, uh, yes, there's always there are always strings attached to federal funding. Um, our role at the college, we see it as being responsible for for carrying that burden, uh, and and that's mm-hmm. a huge value that we can add, you know, in terms of working with our partners on this project. So um, we've tried to streamline all of that uh, by capturing a lot of data on the front end, and then. Um, creating, you know, a system for, for check-ins across the apprenticeship and then even after the apprenticeship. So there is, there are certainly reporting requirements. Um, the deliverables for this grant project, which ends July, 2024 are to acquire and train 7,500 apprentices and pre-apprentices. Um, and then to also scale this across, you know, nearly hundred, basically 160 locations all around the country. So we've made great progress towards both of those, those goals. Um, but we're still, we're still working toward it. We've got a solid, uh, 15 months to go. <laughs> so nice. cool. Yeah. Lori, do you want to speak to department of labor? Um, the, the, the yeah, I think, um, there? you know, it's been a few, it's been a few years since I've been at labor. So, um, I went, I left my business and went in for a couple of years to do this and then came back out. So as far as internal conversations there, I'm not sure. Um, but I do know that there's been a huge push from private sector and industry from the outside um, who really invested in this from the beginning, all the way down to defense contractors, you know, changing a plant um, to accommodate this kind of system. Um, and I think that as industry continues to support this, I think it, there will be opportunities Labor has a number of ways to give out grants. They have a number of pots of money that that can be utilized for these type of grants. And I'm hoping that that they will continue to do that. Obviously, as everybody knows, Department of Labor has almost an 85-year-old registered apprenticeship program that's that's, um, been successful in the trades. Um, That's not going anywhere. Uh, But I think there's room, you know, for more than one, you know, one cog in the wheel, you know? Nice. Yeah. And I can speak to that a little bit more. Uh, you know, this, this pro this grant project that we've been working on, it, the, in, the intention was that it was kind of a developmental grant. It was for us to figure out how can we do this? How can we be not just effective at doing it, but genuinely successful. And in some cases, these, these apprenticeships we've developed, it's kind of a boutique model and it's almost, it's an open source model. I mean, this is all, you know, technically subject to the creative commons and somebody could take it and run with it and, you know, not worry about what to do with it and, and kind of, 
avoid going through the process of the third party evaluation if they want. But ultimately, that provides some rigor. And we've we've learned through the rigor and development of these these programs that uh, hospitals, especially where rigor is important, <laughs> um, value value projects or excuse me, value these programs. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is strategize about how do we carry this torch way past the grant funding? You know, well, how do we keep doing this? Um, and, and does it matter what we call it? Um, and so we've been working uh, with quite a number of stakeholders across industry, across government, uh, across nonprofits uh, to look at developing standards around work-based learning, not just apprenticeship, mm-hmm. but, but all kinds of work-based learning um, so that they can, those programs can be validated um, and meaningful and, and ultimately um, supportive of the careers of, of, of these people who, you know, want to see a great, yeah. a great lifetime of work. Absolutely. Let's hope it's the it's the fuel that just lights a long term initiative, if you will. Well, and there's always, I mean, uh, you know, not just Department of Labor. There's always the hill. You know, there's a lot of money yeah. up there too, um, and there surprisingly is a lot of conversation about work based learning in general, um, apprenticeships, obviously, because that's what people know, um, and and this new program. But there's a lot of discussion about how we start building these things in. And and spending money to do it, so I think I think there's going to be a lot of financial opportunity. Hopefully, I hope and so. We'll learn more about it. It's like something we can all agree upon with tax dollars. Like this is why not put more money into this? You know, it's something that you're guaranteed in a personal ROI on this because you're going to need one of these folks to be trained up uh, and helping you out at some point in your life. Like through nobody's hiding from it. We. Uh, we need them. And it just, it seems like a no brainer to me. I wish when we uh, voted for politicians, we could have initiatives like this on the ballot as well. We just <laughs> win in a landslide. I <laughs> completely yeah. agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> apprenticeship and work-based learning is certainly um, an, a, a bipartisan issue, if you will. Uh, people love it on both sides of the yeah. aisle. Everybody is in it. Every, you know, everyone benefits from a strong economy and a strong economy means people in great jobs. People working. Yep. Yeah. Darn yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. And I, and I hope for all the listeners, um, I hope you take a moment. And then if you need to re-listen to something, hit pause, go back, re-listen to it again, take notes. Uh, we always give our guests an opportunity at the end of the show to kind of plug or talk about whatever you'd like to talk about, put a special message out there to the audience. So Amy, why don't you start? And then Lori, you can, you can follow up and take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Bo. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, to, as a recap, uh, we have incentive dollars and training dollars to help upskill or reskill your staff. And um, if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm at me, Amy McEnroth on LinkedIn, or you can just shoot me an email at amy.mackenroth. It's M-A-C-K-E-N-R-O-T-H at dallascollege.edu. Nice. I think I think I just you know build on what Amy says. We're we're thrilled to have the opportunity, and we appreciate it. You know, Luke, Luke and Bo to just talk about this. Um, and anybody that has questions, um, you know, feel free to reach out. Amy's probably the best person to reach out to. But if you you want to talk about the credentialing side of it, and you have questions about that, or 
or the Hill side of it, you can can reach out to me. And my email is kind of strange. It's kind of long. It's Roe, R-O-W-E, at Bufflehead, B-U-F-F-L-E-H-E-A-D-strategies.com. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions and get on the phone with anybody who wants to talk through it. We just want well, as many people to know about it as possible. <laughs> we'll help spread Excellent. the word. Absolutely. And for everybody listening, if you forget that, just look at the show notes on the episode and we'll have links to Amy and Lori both. So you can just go directly to, to their contact information. And Ashra Nation, we thank you so much for listening to this episode with Amy McEnroth and Lori Rowe. That's a wrap. Still listening? Save your seat for the upcoming June 4th ASHRA webinar with RX Benefits and Infirmary Health today. Questions for the speakers? Send them ahead of time to ashra.edu at ashra.org.